0: Hi, this is Rafiv Ziyadah, and you're listening to 3CR, pro Palestinian, happily proud radio. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter
1: you. People would do anything for their families, it could happen to anyone, anytime.
2: Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat
0: down with a ruler and just drew lines on that. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict.
1: There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia
0: to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away.
3: What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo
1: And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees...
0: I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to.
1: Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else.
0: Refugee, 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 refugee. Refugee Radio, 8.55am, 3 0.
1: We want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and respect the Elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio on 3CR, listening on 855am or on 3cr.org.au. This week we are going to be playing an interview produced by Chronically Chilled for Disability Day. This interview is with Mohammed, who has been locked up in the Park Hotel, refugee from Iran. Please listen to the intro and the interview.
3: Hello and welcome to a special episode of Chronically Chilled, the 3CR's Disability Day programming. I'm Bridget Macarthur, and today we're going to be talking about disability justice for refugees in detention, with a spotlight on the medevac refugees, roughly 40 of whom are currently imprisoned just down the road in the Park Hotel on stolen Wurundjeri land. I'd also like to observe that the Wurundjeri people themselves have already welcomed the medevac refugees to country, meaning that in the eyes of this land sovereigns, they are allowed to be free, so long as they obey local laws. And now, a question. Who listening experienced some form of mandated quarantine in the last 18 months? If you can, I want you to close your eyes and recall that experience. Or for those who didn't, recall some memories of lockdown, isolation, how you felt. When I returned from the UK last year, I had to do a two-week quarantine. I hated it. Now, imagine that time, those feelings, those experiences, stretching over eight years with no certainty as to when it will end and almost no access to medical attention. That's a scenario that Iranian refugee Mohammed Mustavi is currently living out alongside roughly 40 others imprisoned in the Park Hotel, after having come to Australia under the Medevac Bill, which briefly allowed for asylum seekers with urgent medical needs to come to shore for treatment, before being repealed less than a year into enforcement in late 2019. Now, Not only has not one of these individuals received the medical treatment they were promised, approximately 23 of them have contracted COVID-19 in the last month. Unsurprising given the venue was deemed unfit for the prevention of COVID outbreaks when it was trialled for use as part of the hotel quarantine initiative. So far from medical support, most refugees have either seen existing disabilities worsen or new ones develop, particularly psychosocial, in detention. We'll be hearing from Mohammed in a moment. This interview does contain reference to self harm and suicide, which may be triggering to some. While the trauma Mohammed has experienced, and is still experiencing is important for us to be made aware of. We don't want to inadvertently traumatize others who may have similar or adjacent personal experiences. Now to the interview. Um, I'd like to welcome Mohammed to the show. Hi, Mohammed.
4: Hello, how are you?
3: Um, to kick off with, I guess, I mean, I think a lot of people know you guys just as the medevac refugees, um, but it'd be great if you could give us some background on you as an individual, where you grew up and um, maybe what you've done for work.
4: Uh, I can only say that I grew up in Iran, which is ruled uh, by a dictatorial government that kills people easily. And Mm -hmm. everyone knows that. And uh, my brother was arrested and sickened under physical torture and hasn't been able to return to a normal life so far.
3: And so you left Iran eight years ago, is it? And you've been in detention that uh, whole time?
4: Yes, uh, uh, about uh, 2012, I fled my country and I came uh, I can, came to uh, Indonesia and I really made a mistake to come to Australia, but uh, really, I didn't know anything about the rule. Uh, oh. I mean, uh, 19 July, 19th of July, uh, 2030. When I arrived, <laughs> on christmas island i found out and uh, I, unfortunately it was too late and uh, i didn't have a way back and uh, the government australian government sent us uh, send me to the uh, christmas island and i i've been uh, in christmas island uh, in uh, Manus island for 6 years and then uh, i was brought uh, to australia under the Medivac uh, role And uh, I, again, I made a mistake, really. I made a mistake again to come to Australia again, uh, 2019, under the medivac rule. We didn't know anything about this situation
0: again.
3: Of course, yeah. And I mean, you, you say you made a mistake, but of course it's hard to make decisions without that information to hand. Yeah. If you feel comfortable, could you tell us what the health reason was that you were brought here for under medevac?
4: I was brought to Australia due to a mental, uh, physical, and uh, psychological problem resulting uh, from my detention in PNG. Those problems are uh, only increasing during my long detention here in Australia. And I'm suffering now from many illnesses, many, many illnesses. I have problem with my knee, my heart, with distress, my ear, and I've got another problem. I cannot mention it here. And my teeth are completely damaged and need to be repaired. I'm losing control on myself. And and, I, and unfortunately, uh, IHMS do not do anything to help me to back of care, to um, the lack of care I'm experiencing I cannot cope with this. Really.
3: Have you received any medical treatment since arriving
4: here? No. I didn't receive any medical treatment here. I didn't see a specialist here. I never seen a, a, a... a specialist here. They, I don't know why they didn't send me to the specialist. When I asked them about the uh, about this uh, this situation, about uh, my problem, they just uh, told me the ITMS told me we sent your file to the
2: specialist.
3: Yeah, and it's a far cry from I guess what was promised, and and even what is kind of currently being told to the public about um, the treatment you guys have received. Yes, and um. When did you first um, hear about COVID-19 as a potential threat? Obviously, you know, there's been uh, the outbreak recently.
4: You know, we uh, we were destroy everything mentally and uh, physically. There are a lot of people here uh, who don't leave their rooms for days or weeks.
3: Yeah. Were you given um, any support around COVID-19, particularly after the outbreak? How was that dealt with?
4: No, we never get any support from. Uh, 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 from IHMS and uh, just uh, when I asked about uh, our pain or uh, uh, some problem like headache or something it's uh, maybe took a time uh, one hour or two hours to bring us uh, uh, to Panadol, that's it.
3: How do you think the disabilities you've gained in detention will affect you in the outside world if and when you hopefully get there?
4: I'm, I'm getting worse day by day. I'm losing my, uh, my mind. I don't know. Uh, this is how Australia treats me, which I need uh, medical care. My stress is killing me. I cannot eat or sleep very well. I'm scared to get heart attack in detention here. I just want to be free even, yeah, even I, I wrote a request, a lot of requests to send me back to Papua Guinea. Uh, about uh, 17 months ago, 18 months ago, I wrote a request uh, to send me back to Papua Guinea. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay in the detention. Please send me back. And uh, when I uh, uh, talked to uh, my case manager, my case worker, uh, and told me, uh, you have only one option to go back to uh, to uh, to the PNG, processing center. And I t- uh, said, yes, I already write a request, a lot of requests, maybe about a hundred requests. Please send me back to Papua New Guinea. I don't want to stay here. But I haven't got any answer, any clear answer from them. You know, here, here in this situation here uh, for IHMS, If the nurses ask you, How are you? How are you? You have to say, I'm fine. If you don't, they're going to put you two officers to watch you out until uh, you say, Okay, I'm okay, I'm fine. But really, I'm not okay, I'm not fine. They're following you, uh, they're uh, following me, uh, or uh, the people who said, uh, I'm not fine or I wanna uh, kill myself, or I wanna uh, uh, suicide myself. They put the uh, two officers uh, uh, to, uh, to watch him out and they follow him in the toilet, in the uh, bathroom, in the room, and every half an hour, uh, they uh, come to your uh, room and, and knock the door with, with making noise and just, uh, they come in uh, with, the, with the racist behavior. Uh, they just tell you, are you okay? Are you okay? It's uh, it's maybe 24 hours, more than 24 hours. It uh, took a time for this, and uh, they never leave you until you said, "Yes, I'm okay. Just let me go." Yeah. If you said that, yeah. if you said that, they uh, they leave uh, they uh, uh, they leave you uh, go. And if you don't, they push more pressure, more mental pressure on you.
3: So the worse you are feeling no, mentally, almost that,
4: the worse I they can, treat you. Yeah, I, I can call that, uh, this this is absolutely a torture, but uh, um, I, can, uh, I can call this torture, it's a soft torture, you know? It's exactly soft torture as experienced uh, both torture, physically torture and soft torture. It's very worse than uh, uh, physically torture because this, uh, in uh, physical t- torture somebody uh, walked into your room and starting beating you, and uh, after maybe uh, two three minutes uh, he leave you uh, alone again. But here, no, they never beat you. They n- they never touch you. Even. But they they play. Uh, with your mind they they play a game with your mental they push the uh, mental pressure here all the guys all the guys here in hotel and uh, the uh, and in the uh, detention center they just thinking about the death i know many people here in australia in uh, in detentions in there and I, I i can call this this torture it's a absolutely soft torture You cannot, you you don't have any defensive power on yourself. Nothing.
3: So how have you been treated
4: for speaking out? Uh, You know, I'm afraid from the ABF and CERCO officers and the IHMS and the immigration, I'm really they are really massive scary. They are really massive, scary. I'm scared from them. When I saw them, I'm, I'm starting shaking my body and my hand. I just want to run away from them. I just want to hide myself in the, in the room. I don't want to see, see that clothes, see that uniform uh, in the hotel and in the detention. Because really, they are sc- scary, you know. But, uh, but I have many friends in Australia. we many, many kind friends in Australia. And uh, they, they give us a hope and uh, they support us. They come in here uh, for uh, for protest uh, here in front of a hotel. I have communicated uh, with many Australians out of here. But, but the government and this system, really, they are really, really scary. I'm really afraid from them. I'm just looking for a way to run away from this country, from not this country, from, uh, from the ABF and uh, this government, actually. It's very awful. It's very scary here. I'm all, all the time, all of the time, I'm stressed. And, you know, many people here want to go to the third country, as the, uh, the minister said that. Uh, yes, I respect to them rule. Is that okay? it? Is okay? I, I, we all respect them. This is a rule. This is Australian rule. We all never ever settle to Australia, and we know that. So, do do not do. Why you are doing this to us? Send us to the third country, please. Accept the uh, New Zealand offer. At least send uh, send us back to the uh, PNG offshore again. At least I was, uh, uh, we were uh, free in the, uh, in the uh, community in uh, uh, PNG. I'm, I don't understand why the government prefer to, uh, uh, to keep us in the detention. How, how much longer uh, punished for just coming to Australia by boat? Exactly, how much? That's nine years now. That's my life. The government destroyed all my life.
3: Yeah, and on top of that I guess all the um the mental trauma and um, physical disability I guess that you will take away with you potentially for life
4: yeah we're just waiting we just uh, we just 24 uh, 24 seven hours waiting for a good news but it's never come you know it never come
3: you're listening to a special episode of chronically chilled for 3CR's disability day and that was Muhammad Mousavi speaking to us from detention in Park Hotel, Swanston Street. I mean, that just is really hard, even listening back to, to be honest. Um, I had my list of questions prepared as I would for a regular briefing in my day-to-day work. But to be speaking with Muhammad, imagining his conditions just down the road from me, I felt incredibly privileged and honestly somewhat embarrassed, really, at my own perceived hardship under lockdown. Despite having had access to the meds and health services, I need to manage my own chronic condition. But the thing is, that shouldn't be a privilege. The UN Declaration of Human Rights sets out healthcare as an individual human right and provides for additional accommodations in case of physical debilitation or disability. Australia likes to say it has a strong and proud record of human rights. As someone who's been the beneficiary of many of the freedoms this country affords, Perhaps I would once have agreed, but human rights are apparently not doled out by location. They're not enshrined within our country's borders. Rather, they're conditional on skin colour, class, the way you arrived here. A recent report by Melbourne Uni found that the rate of self-harm among people seeking asylum was more than 200 times the Australian community hospital treated rate. In 2016, UNHCR found that 88% of refugees and people seeking asylum on Manus Island were suffering from depression, anxiety and or post-traumatic stress disorder. It's hard to fathom what Muhammad and his fellow detainees are going through. Maybe that's why the public is still largely unaware of their plight.
1: You're listening to Refugee Radio and you just heard an interview produced by Chronically Chilled for Disability Day with an interview with Mohammed a refugee who is detained in the Park Hotel and about his struggles with mental health issues and detention. We're now going to be listening to part of a speech by Raki Apu, a West Papuan freedom fighter and activist who is a refugee now in the Netherlands for many, many years. We're going to be listening to part of his speech part of the People's Health Hearings, and this was played on Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR. Please have a listen.
0: And as I promised, we're going to move on to hear the dulcet tones of uh, Raki App, who is a West Palpuan free West Palpuan campaign person, who was given a space to uh, as a uh, uh, to um, give perspective at the um, people's health hearings, which was a fascinating piece of. Programming as part of the People Summit at uh, COP26, the Alternative COP26, effectively, uh, they had uh, testimony giving a, a series of uh, sessions where different people from right across the world were giving testimony testimony of the climate um, uh, change effects on their local communities, and this is what uh, Raki had to say. Our next testimony comes from the Asia-Pacific region, from Raki Up. Raki is part of the Free West Papua Campaign, which was founded by the independence leader, Benny Wenda, and exists to raise awareness about the genocide and ecocide in West Papua. Their agenda is to create international awareness and to find support for the right to self-determination for West Papua. Raki is a spokesperson for the Free West Papua Campaign as a voice for indigenous Papuans. And uh, Raki? Welcome to the People's Health Hearing and we look forward to hearing too of, uh, your testimony.
2: Yes, by thank you so much um, for the introducing. And first of all, I'm um, really inspired by the previous speakers um, uh, with their stories and insights they gave to me. And I want to thank uh, the People's Health Hearing and all the organizations and partners who organized this uh, because my slogan, my slogan system change by story change. And I'm going to share, share you my personal story, how I became the person I am today, which is uh, the indigenous climate change activist, uh, freedom fighter, as spokesperson of our campaign. And to kick off my presentation, I want other participants um, to imagine that world's largest gold mine is located uh, nearby your home, your city, or your village and that this world's largest gold mine is also the world's second largest copper mine. And that because of this activities of this extractive industry, um, the rivers which you and your people have used for many thousands of years for fishing, for water, and for every you know daily activity, have been polluted, have been poisoned due to um, uh, this uh, extractive industry's uh, toxic waste. And because their activities are making so much profit, you and your family have been forced to go away because they wanted to use your land, the land where you have lived, where your house is standing for hundreds, for generations long, to make more profit, to make more mining activities. Because you don't, don't like that, and the villages as well, you go and protest. So this corporation ask an army in a neighboring country to support them. They pay them and they force all of you with violence to get away from your land. Many people of your village, of your family have been murdered. And in the last 60 years, imagine, not 100 years ago, but the last 60 years, more than one third of your population have been murdered. And an anthropologist who made music, an anthropologist who was a musician as well, who made music about what is happening in these villages against their, his people, was murdered. His family had to forced, was forced to leave the country. This sounds like a far away show from, you know, from the history, but unfortunately, it is not a fantasy story. This is the story of the indigenous peoples of West Papua. This is my personal story, because the anthropologist and the musician was my father, Arnold Apu. And me and my mom, three brothers, had to fled West Papua, and we arrived in the Netherlands, where I was just a boy. So from a political refugee from West Papua, after the Indonesian military assassinated my father, four months before I was born, I came to the Netherlands, and I joined the Dutch Army, because I thought that was the way to contribute to peace and justice and human rights. Uh, how I was young and naive. Now I understand the political dynamics behind this militarism, which also is a huge contributor to the climate crisis we see today. So this is my story, which showcase West Papua. For those who does not know where West Papua is, it's right above Australia, the island of New Guinea, and it's the western half of the island of New Guinea, right there. And I'm going to zoom in this is the island, split in two. the eastern half is the uh, Papua New Guinea, the independent nation of Papua New Guinea, and the western half is West Papua, which unfortunately is um, um, uh, a province of the Indonesia we know today. So what went wrong? First, we, was, we were a colony of the Netherlands. They prepared the West Papuans to an independent nation, they gave the West Papuans the morning stuff. Like they, we had an army, we had a first government in the early 60s until the United States came in and forced the Dutch to hand over West Papua to the Indonesia we know today. And this was the reality which started from that moment on. After a so-called referendum in 1969, two years before a U.S. corporate gold mine, the world's largest copper mine, second largest, world largest gold mine, second largest copper mine located in the heart of West Papua, destroyed the environment and uh, violated a lot of human rights not so much later we got bp coming in as well clearing a rainforest and before that obviously indigenous peoples lived there for more than hundreds if not thousands of years in balance with nature and because more and more companies saw this huge rainforest and all these resources palm oil companies came in to plant what well, they do palm oils um, for all the products here in the West and left behind you know, this kind of landscapes for the indigenous communities in West Papua. And these are the images which West Papuans have been confronted, not images, the violence committed by you know, uh, colonial Indonesia's forces against indigenous Papuans who lived there for more than 40,000 of year in balance with the nature. So these companies are paying directly to the occupation to the violence committed by Indonesian military and basically allowing them to do that. And these are the images, unfortunately, I have to see to make you feel how, how horrible the situation in West Papua is. My father's story, as I mentioned, is just one of the hundreds of thousands stories confirmed NGOs uh, reports more than 500,000 indigenous West Papuans have lost their lives the last 60 years due to Indonesian colonization supported by the Western governments and their uh, extractive industries. So how is this story linked to the climate crisis? This is why I am here in Glasgow. Because how are we going to stop the climate crisis if we don't know what is happening on the front line? So West Papua is part of the world's largest tropical island, housing one of the unique, uh, most unique lands and marine biodiversity. So the narrative of a lot of... Uh, environmental organisations are, you know, protecting the forest, protecting animals. Yes, of course, we support that. But if they cared about the lives of Indigenous peoples and protected and campaigned for their rights, these animals and trees were still there. It's that simple. We need a new narrative. And that's why I'm here with our campaign.
1: You're just listening to Part of a Speech by Raki Apu, a West Papuan freedom fighter. You can listen to... That whole speech, if you look on the Solidarity Breakfast page on the 3CR website, from the 20th of November. Usually on the 10th of December, we're remembering one refugee, Rajan, who had been detained for nearly 12 years, who has now got out of detention a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, he's still in community detention, but he is at least able to have some freedom that's it for Refugee Radio this week. Final show of Refugee Radio next week. So please tune in. Thanks for listening. Thousands of refugees are stuck on the Belarusian and Polish border in freezing conditions without water, shelter or food. Support locals and activists to help refugees stranded. Go to chuff.org forward slash project forward slash support frontline on border crisis. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 am on digital and online.
0: 3CR Radical Radio. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 8.55 on your dial.